This episode of the Growing Up Podcast is brought to you by Southern Seed Productions. Sowing Southern Seeds, Growing New Traditions. Welcome to Growing Up. This week we've got uh, we've got Jimmy Loudermilk here of the famous Coal Mountain Panjos, um, worldwide, international, ships them everywhere, uh, and we're glad to have uh, have everybody with us. Uh, I'm TJ. I'm Josh Presley. He's the one with hair. I'm bald. Yeah. Mm. Want to wear a hat. And we've got Jimmy Loudermilk sitting here, and we're going to talk to Jimmy a little bit today about uh, Coal Mountain Panjos and uh where he got his start and all that good stuff so uh jimmy glad to have you well it's good to be i thank y'all for inviting me to do this uh this all kind of started with well me playing guitar i started when i was a kid playing um guitar and um i went over to my house my mom and dad's house today and i got this guitar because you might say well where did it all start at well let me tell you a story about this guitar right here when my dad was like 20 years old, which would be a couple of years younger than what you are now, he was in Jacksonville, Florida uh, at a poo hall. And there's a guy needing to sell his guitar because he needed some money for a poo. So he bought, he gave him, I think it was $15 for this guitar, which in 1960, or I guess it's 60 or something like that, would have been pretty good money. So he he learned to play this song right here. Through the next few years, he developed into a little faster, <laughs> and that's that's really the extent of his playing career. And he would, after he got married, he put this underneath the um, the bed. Um, and I would, as a kid, I would like, you know, he'd every now and then he'd get it out and go, and I was like, man, that is cool. <laughs> And he'd put it back, always keep it under the bed because he didn't want nothing to happen to it. And as a kid, I would climb under there, the bed, and just run my fingers over this guitar just for the sound of it. And so when I got about eight years old, um, he showed me this one day. And I was like, man, all right, let's keep going. He's like, well, that's it. (laughs) You know, so we're going to have to find you another teacher. So my second guitar teacher was Paul Forrest. Now, anybody that grew up in Forsyth County uh, has heard of, of Paul Forrest as being a guitar player and a musician. And I have a picture of him, of uh, Paul here. And when I took lessons from him, he always wore a suit and tie. Really? And he taught in his home with the suit and tie on. Sometimes when it was real casual, I mean, I guess if he was just feeling real loose, he'd still have his coat on, but no tie. You know. It was funny because uh, we we were talking the other day um, back when my dad was in school at Georgia. They used to wear coats and ties to ball games. Oh yeah, and so I mean back in the '60s, that was the thing. I mean if you were if you were dressed it up, you because he was a retired insurance salesman, and that was his whole life was just wearing. Um, and he had a Gibson guitar, and the thing is, when when I was a kid, I loved to play this Gibson guitar. He had it was an acoustic guitar. And years after he passed, I contact, contacted his grandson, 
and um, was able to borrow that guitar for a few weeks. You know, I told him, I said, I just want to show it to some of my students and um, stuff. And so I was able to teach some lessons with with that guitar and let some of my students play it. And um, so my mom and dad, they carried me everywhere playing music. You know, so, I mean, I knew at eight years old when I started that I was going to be in bands and stuff with it. It was not like a, just a part-time little thing. Some reason I was like, okay, this is the start of me being a musician. Right. So when I was 12, uh, 11 years old, I started taking from a guy also in Gainesville called Larry Daniels. And he got together the Larry Daniels student band. And so we started going around as the Larry Daniels student band. And there's an interesting story. One of the first places we played when I was 11 was at the Gainesville Civic Center in, in Gainesville. And I don't know if now, I think it might be something with the government might own it now. For um, now, right? No, 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 that's the... The Civic Center still owns. Yeah, it's, it's still, still the there. It's still the Civic Center. But they used to have dances there. Yeah. And um, my dad lived 50 miles away in Cornelia. My mom lived here in Forsyth County. And there was no four lanes back then to Cornelia. And so they met at a dance at a Sonny James concert there uh, one night in 1963. And six weeks later, they were married because my dad was saying, you know, it's 50 miles down here. <laughs> And, you know, he had a 55 Chevrolet and it was just like, you know, you think, well, let's get married, you know. So six weeks later, they got married after wow. that. And so I come along in 1967 um, and then started taking lessons in 1976. And then in 1979 is when I played with that band playing at the Gainesville Civic Center. And I used to have the program for that. Um, and I was like, well, it'd be cool if I could find the program to the Sonny James concert. Right, right. Or one. frame them together. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Right. So anyway, so, and my guitar would all, my dad would always, everywhere we'd go, we'd be riding down the road and he'd see people playing on the side of the road or somewhere and he'd be like, <laughs> you know, be like, and one of the places up in the mountains, you used to see it all the time, like bands, like in Maggie Valley and in, in Cherokee, North Carolina, you'd see bands um, on the uh, side of the road picking and of course my dad would and he'd go he'd walk up to him and say you know my boy plays can he play along with y'all and they was like oh yeah of course so i'd let see him look back at the car and he'd go <laughs> and i was like awesome you know all right at the time you know it's fun at a lot of times and then sometimes it wasn't because you know um my brother would be out playing you know around her and i'd be sitting with a band playing you know which this was fun but anyway, kind of you on the spot just a little bit. Oh, oh yeah, which <laughs> every me, time, which got me used to playing in front of people because right. you know. But anyway, I have this one picture here of me sitting in Maggie Valley, North Carolina, playing this old Martin guitar. Now that's when I kind of developed a love for old Martin guitars. I mean, because they just looked very cool. They sounded real good, and all these bluegrass musicians. All played Martin guitars, and if they seen you had a Martin guitar, it was like you were already in. You were in the club. You were in the click already. Kind of like years ago when we were in school, if you had the little alligator on or the little star on the Converse tennis shoes, you were kind of in right. the club. Which I wasn't in that club. We we couldn't really afford those. And really, I didn't have a Martin guitar. All these years I've been playing, 
I was always like, well, if I'm going to get a Martin guitar, I want to get one the year I was born, 1967. Right. But as time went on, 1967 Martins got really expensive. Well, just a few days ago, I had told a friend of mine about it. We had always, I used to work with him at a music store, and he loves old Martin guitars. He has several of them. And I told him, I said, you know, one day I'm going to get me a 1967 Martin guitar. And um, so other day, he called me up and says, I'm in Nashville at this Bluegrass Award show up here, and there's a guy I want to sell this 1967 Martin guitar. Wow. And he told me the price on it, and I said, well, play it. He sent me some pictures of it. And he played it. He said, man, it's a great guitar. It's at a great price. It's half the price of the last one you looked at. You know, um, I says, well, if you think it'll work. So he, he got it for me. So this Monday, I'm going to go play wow. it. So, awesome. so there's from the time I was 11 years old till now, right. going to play a Martin guitar. And I wish I had it here today for I to play you a song on it. Right. But, but anyway, so that's kind of. That's awesome. So anyway, I started playing with bands um, through the years. I played with the little, the Larry Daniels band became the Renegades, named after a Jeep. Um, so we played at all kind of places, like in, on little flatbed trailers around and about, like here's a place we were playing over in Gainesville in the Harbor Freight uh, parking lot, which wasn't Harbor Freight then, but right. you can see the Pizza Hut in the background yeah. there. Then when I was, And we were on a little tour that that month because it was on the third of july the next day we were in Denver's, georgia playing right. so we had, we had hit the circuit you hit the big time wow. going to we hit the circuit Sydney. pretty hard and then at the same time i joined a gospel group called the truthful heirs hmm. now in this picture of the truthful heirs um there's several of these ladies that still go to my church and i still play and they sing and i play for them at my church still to this wow. day so I think that's kind of uh, neat. And uh, one thing, as as time went on, I joined this uh, Southern Gospel group called the Perrys, and we traveled around the country. You know, just going. You know, had a bus, which I thought was very cool. You know, get on a big bus, and and on the back of the bus where it said the Perrys. Now in Southern Gospel music, it's not really popular music unless you're in that clique. So we'd pulled over a lot of truck stops, and then people come up and says, "Is Steve Perry on that bus?" <laughs> and I go, "No, he's not with us this trip." <laughs> but that was the big thing, you know. The truck truck drivers passes. We had the CB radio at the time. They say, "Is that Steve Perry on that bus?" And I'm like, "No, it's not Steve Perry. We're the we the, we're a gospel group." Oh. <laughs> So, and I have a picture of that bus, you know, and like I said, me stand beside it, but that's, you know, I know it was all about, um, playing for the Lord and serving the Lord through our music, but riding that bus was cool, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, cause everywhere you got out, it goes, people's like, man, who is that? You were somebody when I, you got off that bus. When you were somebody, you might not have been Steve Perry, right. but which I don't know if he talks, you know, I don't know if he's with Journey. But anyway, uh, so that's kind of how I got started in um, music. And, and my first guitar teacher, Paul, as far as giving lessons, I'd go back visit him through the years, and he'd say, you know what? He said, you seem pretty patient. You need to start giving lessons. He says, I've, you know, he had 45 people a week when he was giving lessons. Right. And he was just at his home there. And that was a long time ago. So I started teaching in 95 and when I was 
I guess I played up to until 1990, like with the Perrys. And then there was a few years there I had a real job working in advertising down in uh, Roswell. And so in 95 at Ponce de Music, I started teaching guitar some. And it grew to the point, and I was like, you know what? I think I can make a living at this. So 100 lessons a week later, I stopped working and just started doing this. And for the next 15 years, just doing lessons all the time, 100 lessons. Then it kind of, I got to a point where I was kind of burnt out with it a little bit, you know. And that's when I pulled back and started, like, just making little instruments. And that's really kind of how Cold Mountain Panjo kind of got started for me kind of getting uh burnout from teaching at, at that time because i've seen so many and i found when i cut back to the half the number that i enjoyed it so much better than well, i mean I did. 20 100 lessons a week you're looking at five days a week at 20 lessons a day really i mean it was man, yeah that's crazy that's crazy number yeah i mean it was just um yeah i was i would start i had home scooters during the day and going to 9 30 yeah. at night and wow. so it, yeah but I have a picture. And your teaching style has changed a little bit since you started teaching lessons because I took from you whenever I was a teenager. And uh, and it was, uh, we got to learn those chords. we got to learn those chords. we got to learn those chords. And um, after a while, without learning any songs, just playing chords, it, it gets a little old. It does. <laughs> and that's the way I learned to play. Right. I, I, I played, but I had it in my mind I was going to be a musician. So that didn't bother me because I just knew that was part of the process. And uh, but nowadays, my teaching style now is, you know, a lot of people will criticize me and they'll say, you know what, that somebody should go through and learn all the scales and all the chords and everything before you really get in playing. And just like you, I'm like, well, how many people took piano lessons years ago? And never touch the piano now because they go through these books. Mm -hmm. Book one, book two, book three, book four. Get so bored with right. it. They never play any Jerry Lee Lewis or Mickey right. Gilly or any of that stuff. Well, see, my thing is now, as soon as I can, somebody comes in, we're starting with some basic stuff, but I'm already talking to them going, hey, what kind of music do you like? Mm -hmm. And even if I can teach them a little of that song, my main thing that first year is getting them hooked on wanting to play. Right. Even if it's not learning a lot of fundamentals about playing, just getting them playing these songs. And even if it's a real simple version of it. Um, and then once they get hooked, and then we can delve more into right. the... Because um, I know, like you, taking lessons, you really are interested in the background of right. it, how it, why it's this way, and the theory of it. But... Most people that play just want to play a right. song, which you do need to know the theory part of it to be to go further, further with it. So that's kind of. But Paul, when he was giving me less or teaching me, never wrote anything down. Those first three years, nothing was wrote down. So if I didn't practice that day when I got home, you forgot it. I forgot it. So when I started out teaching, I started out teaching the same way. And I don't know if you have any papers of me writing anything down for you or not. I've got all I've got all my papers. I didn't bring them with me today, but I've got all the papers since I started two or three years ago. But from whenever we started, when we didn't write nothing down. I didn't whenever write. Whenever I started, whenever I was taking lessons from you when I was a kid, 
We didn't write anything down. Yeah, it was we just, just it, but it was just you got to learn GCD. Those are the chords. <laughs> you got if you don't learn those, we can't go any further. And it was a much slower process right. without anything wrote down. And uh, so when I started teaching, that was in the when I was in high school in the mid '80s. I had run a little ad in the paper, going, you know, I teach guitar just like Paul had done. He put a little ad in the paper. So I was living at my parents' house, you know, teaching lessons. And then I started playing with the Perrys and traveling around. And from time to time, I was still giving some lessons. Uh, but not until 95 is when I started full-time uh, teaching. Right. And then the instruments, getting back to how the pan, Cold Mountain Panjo got started, um, is I had, was uh, made some little instruments for some um, pe- kids at Bible school in a class I was teaching. And I'll show you what that first instrument looked like. I had went to Home Depot and bought some uh, some of that tr- mo- fancy kind of mold in there, right. and um, some little particle board, I guess. And we made these, and I think the date on this was 2004. And so the kit, it was just like a this inside of tune. But I have a picture here where they're um, we'd learn them a song in that week, and that then on the Friday night they would play it, and we did that for several years. Right. And then that's how I got into doing these. How Panjo came along. Yeah. So what what gave you the idea for that? Well, I guess it was just um, seeing around that time, seeing a picture from a, it was a Civil War etching, I think is what it was called. And I don't even know really what etching is, but that's what I read that right. was, was etching. Uh, of a Civil War guy uh, playing a fiddle that was made from a cigar box and come down find out later once the internet going and everything that that picture was one of the first pictures of a cigar use box used for anything other than um a cigar box right. an instrument but um the pan the reason it came to the pans i don't know i just um that just kind of kind of come to me uh but um <laughs> so I'll give you an example is up here so I have these pans here and let me tell you a story on this pan right here I went to a yard sale a while back and I bought this pan as you see it is a very well used pan and my wife's like well I can't believe somebody sewed this at a yard sale I was like man I think it's cool because that's going to make a cool pan joke right. so now when I'm going places and I'm seeing these tins and the different little things I use with the tailpieces, I'm seeing instruments. Right. And that's and if you kind of, for the different pictures of the ones I have here, um, it's just, I'm just seeing instruments everywhere. Right. So. You made one out of a gourd. Yeah. I had, I, I was doing gourd. that for a while. That's a little bit more time consuming um, than the other ones. But I first started, I did a craft show and I had made this around 2004, 2005. I did. I made like 20 of these panjos. They were all exactly the same. I put them on a table. It was just up in Aurora, the same weekend Gold Rush was going on. But here I am, out in the sun. Everybody else had tents. <laughs> right. Which this was my very first craft show right here. We do around 20 a year now, but this was the very first one with no tent. 
And as you see in this picture, my I've just burn up. My, <laughs> no, my this, you're a little red. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> oh, that next week was painful. I was happy that day, but not the rest of the week. So anyway, I sold basically all of those twenty panjos, and that kind of gave me the fever going. And I had give all these lessons and played all these places, and made money with that. But when somebody gave me money for something I had made with a pan. Mm-hmm. That was probably like, you know, right. as uh, one of the famous commentators on TV says, made a chill go up my leg, <laughs> right. you know, that somebody would pay me money for that. Right. And so it kind of built from that doing little shows to now we do, you know, have, um, you know, it grew from that there to just, um, you know, having a tent where I have 150 instruments out, you know. And I have found that the more instruments I put out, the more we sell because there's more, more variety. More, more variety. Because uh, the first few shows I did, I'd, I'd have, you know, 25, 30 panjos out there exactly the same. It wouldn't take somebody long to come, come and look right. at them and go, okay, I don't just want to Right. So, and I know this here is one of my first pans I did. And I still play it uh, to this day, but there's a little bit of modifications through the years. And when you look at a lot of these pans, they seem to be pretty old. Like, if I was to ask you, that, how do you think? Sorry, how do you think this pan is? What would your, what would you think? I don't know. Fifteen, twenty years old. This is a fairly. This is about a year old pan. Really. And that's so one of my. you weather them? Oh yeah, this one. And if you was to go behind my house. And my wife loves this part of the process. But if you go behind my house, you'll see a lot of pans just sitting out. Right. On different, the back deck or the different tables and stuff, sitting just out there, you know. And then I take, once they get weathered, I'm painting them and sanding them. Because there's pans right now that I'll be using for this year that are just out there. Right. And because a lot of people, I find, I don't know why, but nowadays it's a big it's called something that you know if you go into hobby lobby and look at most of their little furniture and chairs yeah it's weathered it's right. aged. That's, that's the way it looks rustic. rustic rustic that's the word rustic that's rustic. the key word so most of the stuff i do now has a rustic look like this this one here same deal if you look at this and look at that neck there it looks like an old instrument it is yeah but i mean it's this is from a palette here, right. which that seems to be kind of a popular thing, people using pallets to right. make stuff. I don't use a lot of that, but um, if you want a real old look, it doesn't take a lot to make it look old. Right. And so that's kind of where, um, you know, I, I take license, I started, just started doing this where I'm taking license plates and making um, instruments out of them. And... Now let me let me ask you this because I'm a I'm a in the weeds kind of person. What what made you choose like where you wanted to be on key and like the whole kind of science of where what you were trying to get this to fit into? Right. Well, the easiest I knew for me to sell them at craft shows and even to getting the kids to play them, I needed to have a tuning that was the easiest tuning there was to play. And the, that is the dulcimer, the mountain dulcimer. Right. Where it is tuned, D, A, D. 
and it has a diatonic tuning like the do re mi fa so la ti do and then each string is that way but it's tuned in those fifths like that and so when you're playing a melody you can do it on one string and then I can have people, I can show somebody to play that in just a few minutes. And once they play that little song, they're hooked. They're buying. Right. They're yeah. taking that banjo home with so, them. So it's kind of like the main thing. I always tell people that I'm not selling these panjos and the cigar boxes as much as I'm selling somebody the hope that they're going to be a musician. Right. Now, it's not to me, it's not a false hope because with practice, they can jump from this into playing other instruments right. and i have i have people come back through the years and they'll say you know i started off with that but i started taking guitar lessons or i started taking violin lessons because mm -hmm. of that right there right so you know here i'm sitting at the festival on saturday and sunday they usually run i'm just playing and then somebody's seeing that and seeing all this and they go man you've done that with three strings mm-hmm and I was like, well, you you know, you can do it too. So I got the little, this, I made a song book and, you know, kind of show them there. And that's kind of, uh, that's why I chose that tuning. And a lot of the cigar boxes now, I do some to where, um, where I have a guitar tuning. Like this cigar box here. Um, uses the top three strings of a guitar and the frets are more so this would be more complex to play right mm -hmm. so but but anybody that already plays guitar can pick this up and just and then also just run it through uh, you can run it through a amp like I have a pickup in this one so I'm gonna come up with I'm working on a book now just to Just the real popular right. intros. And I think, you know, that I started this last year, so it's, it's really kind of took off. And I do them at a price where um, some of these on the line will go for $200. Right. And if you're at a craft show doing these, that's, that's kind of a, they're not there to spend $200. Right. So I have a price point that makes them a lot more appealing uh, to the public. And they've uh, they've progressed since uh, in just a few years because you started putting the pickups in those. Yeah, um, like this one that I play all the time here. Most of them have pickups on the inside where I have a not put jack there. Right. And so um, so if I'm playing, let me turn this off here. And turn this back on here. And then some people have amps at home where it has effects on it. You could take and add a, a like a bass effect. Like. And then or maybe even a chorus like a. So it opens up a bigger door right. for the people just to. Um, and then I have some kids that'll come along with me drums you know right so 
Are you talking to them? <laughs> well, it's an avenue, right, to get somebody to that point of kind of taking up even a bigger instrument if they want. Oh to. yeah, to me that's the biggest thing that I I think being a teacher with it in all these years. My biggest job as a music teacher is to encourage somebody to keep going on. Right. Because um, that's the natural tendency. Everybody, when they start, they're like, man, I must be the slowest student you have. Everybody says that. I've been taking lessons for (laughs) for three years, and I'm still there. (laughs) And I'm saying, no, if you was a fly on the wall, you would see, no, I'm doing pretty good. Right. You know? And so, and that's the thing with these is, and I'm just not telling people that they can play it just to, just only to sell them. Right. But it's, I'm true. It's true that, I mean, if you put your mind to it, you can play something on the banjo. Right. You know, and like I said, it's a jumping off point, but, um, I don't know. It's just kind of, um, my biggest passion in music right now is these instruments. Mm-hmm. That's just, awesome. I, it's just because I don't know. I, like, as I see stuff, and uh, I'll be somewhere. Me and my wife, we love going to um, flea markets. Well, let me back that up. I love going to flea markets. <laughs> and my wife's, you know, she's going. Okay, this is another trip to Marshalls, or another trip to Panjo Heaven is where yeah, this or, is. Or, you know, she's going. Okay, this is where we're going to go because of this. You know, so it's a yeah. trade-off. You know, kind right. of thing. So it's just, but you know, she's, you know, especially last year I had a little van that I was uh, using to go to these craft shows and it kept breaking down. Every time we went to a craft show, that van was breaking down, which was not good, you know, cause it's yeah. like, okay, where's it going to break down this weekend? At? And so the finally, the last time when the brakes quit working up around LJ, when we were going to Tennessee, Cleveland, Tennessee is where we was going. And I don't know if you might look on the map and go, well, man, you're just going the wrong way if you're going through LJ. <laughs> but anyway, the brakes went out on it. And when I finally got stopped in this little parking lot, my wife says, you know, we're going to get us a, a newer vehicle, something dependable, because yeah. she says, I'm tired of this breaking down in this van. So that next day, we went and bought a new F-150 right. Ford pickup truck. And I told her, uh, I says, well, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it a go in a year's time from the day we buy this truck from our craft shows. We're going to make, we're going to pay for this truck. And sure enough, it didn't hardly take us quite a year, but we paid for the, anyway, for a year's time, we paid for that truck, the the new truck with, with the Panjos. Wow. Thanks for tuning in to this special two-part episode of the Growing Up Podcast with TJ Smith and Josh Presley, and I hope you'll stick with us next week as we continue visiting with Jimmy Loudermilk and learning about all his adventures in the music industry. The Growing Up Podcast is produced by Southern Sea Productions, and music is provided by Jimmy Loudermilk.